Hello, this is Matt Hale bringing you Art Monthly's talk show on Resonance 104.4 FM, which I haven't done since December. My colleague Chris McCormack stepped in to do the January show, which I hope you heard, and I'm glad to be back again. Um, we may well be sharing them a bit more in the future. We'll have to see how we go. I know that Chris is keen, and I'm very happy to let him have a go as well. Um, I hope you enjoyed his programme. Um, today, we're doing the usual thing of talking about text from the magazine. And when I say text, I mean a feature and a review. And the texts have both been written by one person called Bob Dickinson. Hello, Bob. You're joining me in the studio from Manchester. Hi, Matt. Actually, I'm not in Manchester. I'm no, right here in front of you. came from Manchester <laughs> to be here, is what I mean, yes. which is incredibly generous, <laughs> although I know you're probably down doing something else to do with recording as well, because you do regularly record things for the Beeb, I believe. Yeah, I make documentaries for radio. Yeah, yeah, radio. which is great. So yeah, I'm sitting yeah. opposite a pro, and I'm not a pro. So, listeners, you will see and hear the difference. <laughs> the sweat. Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> no, Bob is a writer and broadcaster based in Manchester, as I have both we've both said, really. But basically, Bob, um, you, your feature, we're going to start with that one, but we do think probably there are links between what you reviewed um art monthly now seems to send um people out and ask them to review three things or four things and we call them roundups and you did one of those didn't you yeah. in manchester um which was great and it's um very important to me that you we have writers from the north coming and being in the studio because otherwise we only have people in london sometimes the shows are a bit biased towards who we can get hold of to come down so it's really great to have someone who actually isn't from london in the in the studio and and your your feature which you which you've written is is a well I don't know what you called it but it says here in the header Bob Dickinson on art and unemployment and the main header it says gives a job yeah which, I didn't write which that isn't, isn't your, which isn't yours <laughs> I know but basically the choice of art and unemployment what was yours yeah. just to get the ball rolling I, I'm always interested to know why a writer chooses to the theme as it were of a feature because you know if you don't write many features for art monthly or or when you do, they're sort of like you've been writing with various reviews and you come to do your feature. It's obviously quite an important bit of writing. So you've chosen something which obviously interests you, but presumably also you thought it was topical. It is topical. I mean, I think unemployment's a, just a major problem. I've got, you know, children who are uh, have been art students and are thinking about what sort of job they want to get or can get, and it's a very difficult question to answer. And I think, um, especially in the current... Economic. I know that the government at the moment is saying that we're coming out of the recession and things are looking up and unemployment figures are going down, but youth unemployment is stubbornly high. It's about a million. Yes. And um, so it's – and it's it, – when you think that – this isn't just Britain worldwide, that 40 uh, percent of, of uh, unemployed people are between 16 and 24. And in this country, the in, in terms of the unemployed um, – 14% of young people between 15 and 25 in this country are not even in education, employment or training. They're, they're what's called NEETs. Yes. So they're, 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 they're not doing anything with their, with their time or with their minds. And you, I wonder why that is. And I, I wondered what art has got to say about that. Is, art in, is contemporary art engaging with that when you think that lots of art students and people who are in related kind of skills training in those kind of related areas um are likely to have to face unemployment potentially art uh, and you know it's a well-known fact that artists have always found it hard to make a living well yes yes but they <clears throat> then when the economy is doing really well mm. it's easy to pick up jobs that can subsidize your practice um, as an artist, isn't it? And but obviously, when the, when the time is a, a, a harder, as as youth, it, it is seemingly particularly for youth, yeah. um, the younger people who are the age of the people leaving degrees, universities. We, 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 you know, they may have a BA honours in f first degree, you know, but but they they can't get a job, and and as you say, it's very hard to to earn money. So you 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 thought, okay. Where did that thought come from? Because you did mention to me before, program that you've been to see a show at Tate Liverpool, which might relate to this a bit, where possibly this idea of looking at art dealing... I mean, obviously, there's lots of art that deals with politics, mm. and obviously the issue of unemployment could be described as a political issue, 
but it, it, it's also a living daily reality yeah. as well, well, isn't it? Well, you're talking about this. I, do, I was working uh, at the same time as, a, uh, as working on this feature. I was working on a review of a big exhibition at Tate Liverpool called Art Turning Left, which is about left-wing values in art since the French Revolution up to the present day. And I was thinking when I was going round there, you know, what what of contempt what of contemporary artists in this and there are contemporary artists working today in in that show in Liverpool what have they got to say about unemployment actually not a great deal because the stuff they're doing is too clever it's 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 much more intellectual than that it's much more playing around with ideas of of the art market for instance um and so i started searching around and thinking harder about contemporary art which was dealing with unemployment and... Almost more specific subjects, in a way. I mean, because yeah. we often talk on the programme here, many of the writers and features and things we have in the magazine are, are about capitalism mm. and it's a you know, and more general sort of philosophical, economic sort of bigger areas. Mm. And, and, and I, I, mean, I quite like the idea that you, you have honed down, as you say, on unemployment because it, it is a symptom almost of some of those things that we talk about all the time but yeah. but it's also a, re- a very much a reality isn't it i think it's a reality that's difficult to actually get your head around or imagine because um it, because of this tendency that's happened in the 20th century to create icons of unemployment in other words key images or ideas about what it looks like to be unemployed and what the values are connected with unemployment and when I found this show that had happened in 2012 by Biteback Movement called A Dangerous Figure at Somerset House in London, I thought that's a, they did something very interesting, which was they created this, this uh, morphing image of uh, contemporary London unemployed people, youth, uh, young people, which was made up of thousands of images of uh, unemployed people uh, young people who'd agree, signed a form and agreed to have their faces photographed, sort of mug shots, scanned, kind of front yes, shot of their yes. face, and they, because of you know, thanks to a computer program, they morph, they seem to morph into each other. So, you, you well, they sort of fade from they one, fade person from one to, to the another. Next. Yes, yes, yeah, seamlessly, and, and it has a very weird. It's a really strange thing to look at because some people think the majority of the faces or the faces tend towards a feminine aspect and some people think they tend towards a masculine aspect but actually it's 50-50 and you're just kind of seeing what you want to see almost yes um but i thought that was an interesting idea because they were because what were what they seem to be doing is is pointing to the fact that the unemployed unemployed people are just like you and me in fact what 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 I find quite exasperating about the way unemployment is calculated and examined and analysed is that it is so statistical, and um, the actual the, because of the idea that un, that actual employment having a job is so amorphous and uh, in this country especially the, a very high number of employed people are engaged in part time work. Because they don't want to be unemployed, they don't, they don't want to be categorised as unemployed. There is this. I think. I think it's quite an amorphous concept: unemployment versus unemployment. Do you think? Do you think it's possibly a dying concept in in, in a way? I mean, I mean, you, you, some people you say don't want to be seen to be unemployed, so they mm. take part time jobs. Some people don't want full time employment. Yes. As well. I mean, they actually. Yeah. You know, I mean, for oh, instance, yeah. as artists. I mean, I mean. Yes, well, yes. I, I have to say myself. I mean, I've worked for three days a week. For yeah. years, yeah. in order to have four days that I can w- make my art work, and it's a choice which economically is, is, you know, means I earn less money. But it's it's a it's a it's a purposeful choice. I mean, but I would obviously rather that than be unemployed. So yeah, I I, th- I agree that that, that uh, I'm not really it, arguing. It, you know, just, just no, I I, th- I was thinking about this um, uh, earlier today, and I was thinking, well, what, when do you d- when does someone decide they don't want to work? Full time is when they've got a, had a certain amount of experience doing something or some things. They decide to, you know, they don't want. To, maybe I never want to work in a, in a factory again. Or I never want to work in an office again. Or, or, yeah. or I, I, I'd rather have more control over my hours. But um, I, 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 I guess it's it's only relevant if you've actually done something to start with, or you're capable yeah. of doing something. Whereas if the youth, youth have never had a job. Yes, yeah. they're they're just literally leaving. 
I mean, it is complicated again, though, because, I mean, lots of people I've heard when they're at university working at, say, art students, have jobs while they're at college. Well, which, they have to because which, which never, students have to yeah. have to pay so it's funny they their fees. It's funny they kind of almost get employment of one kind when they're doing a degree, but then they don't get the, the employment that goes with their degree, perhaps. And it's that different that unemployment where you're not actually getting the job that you really are suitable for or trained for or you know and so then it's all about it's muck jobs yeah it's, well that's yeah. the problem so there's that there's the unemployment anyway but, but rather than analyzing why people are unemployed particularly what, what you did mention was that that the images of people who are unemployed going back say pre the first world war you start by with an example of pre first world and um, post first world war in germany don't you how are they how is the how are they different well it, it, there is a tradition in european painting of unemployment or people who don't have a job being portrayed as vagabonds. Hogarth has a, someone with no work, with a sign, wearing a sign. Yeah. Um, in Europe, it's more to do with, with, with itinerancy and vagabondage and so on. And um, this seemed to change around the turn of the 20th century when artists began to realise that unemployment was... Uh, something to do with masses of people coming together and, be, and being in one place, gathering together, demonstrating, becoming political, a political force. And this began to gather um, much more power after the end of the First World War when unemployment rose. So, so visual imagery, paint, paintings, yes. photographs became different in that sense. Yeah, because of the right, I think, because especially in Germany, places where they'd experienced um, revolution... Uh, Russia as well, though you've you've ha you've got unemployment and linked to revolutionary ideas and uh, un you know trade unionism, the the coming together of 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 people who knew that they could uh, campaign for political change by acting as one unit. Yeah, which which I mean, it, 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 and it's to do with that, that view of the city where right people. In large numbers, can be dangerous where the authorities can be feel threatened. Yeah, I mean, I was them. reminded of the poll tax yeah. riots and things. But you, yeah. you, you also mentioned the, the Jarrow marches, don't you? Is in in Britain as being something that that, that again was depicted. And you yeah. you, you choose a, a, an amazing painting um, by Thomas Cantrell Dugdale. Yeah, um, describe that to us. Well, it's called "Couple Watching the Arrival of the Jarrow Marches, 1936," and it shows um, a a, a, a quite a posh uh, London apartment with a couple uh, sitting and there's a man sitting smoking um, a, a cigarette perhaps on a uh, blowing smoke rings and his partner is also smoking and she but she's looking out the window with um, facing away from the viewer and she's looking uh, through an open window to the scene outside in the square and it's dark in the square apart from the the, um, the street lights, and they're lighting up the Jarrah marches, who are sort of an amorphous mass of banners and heads, and and it's meant to look. Uh, you know, you don't see any detail of the of the of the demonstrators at all. You, just, you can just about see some policemen's helmets yes. along the back row yeah, of, the, yeah. of the. But all the the mass of of men and of, of women maybe are, are, are not really visible. Doug Dale's an interesting painter. I think he he seems to have been. Um, uh, he, well, he was trained in Manchester. He's a northerner. He seemed to have, I imagine, he 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 looked at the Jarrow marches as something that he needed to. That he was, I, I imagine, he was sympathetic to them, but he could only portray uh, the meaning of the march t in in the context of the type of painting and the type of client that he would work for. But the contrast it, says it beautifully, doesn't it? Because it, because he's he's doing these these. Um, Portraits of society people, yes, yeah, normally, yeah, and he's it, but he's not pretending that he's to put them in this 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 background is definitely there. I mean, I wonder whether this was a commission painting or a painting he did, he did on the side. I, I imagine not commissioned, but but they, maybe he he'd just done a commission for them anyway or something. I don't Possibly, know. I don't actually know, but I mean, it, it could be. Um, I I also thought it was it's the type of image that could have made a political cartoon in a newspaper. Yes, it could, couldn't it? But, it's, it's from 1936, by yeah. the way, and it's in the um, Jeffrey Museum, just in case anyone wants to see it or follow up more about it. But the thing 
the, the real contrast is that the, the really powerful images of the Jarrow marches were the newsreel films that everybody saw of these guys walking down a road somewhere with a harmonica band at the front and the banners flying and this uh, amazing sort of sense of unity of unity and dignity yeah um and uh these were not the only sort of hunger marches that that happened in the 30s there were other ones that were more affiliated with the communist party and the these uh the 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 jarrow marches were 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 the organized by the national unemployed unemployed workers union who saw themselves as slightly separate um but it, it, it was the, the, that march that sort of uh, motivated people like Bill Brandt to go up to to Jarrow to photograph unemployed people in situ in the in the in the home in their homes in the landscapes that they lived in and see that it was like a, another planet. Yeah, but it producing evidence almost. You yeah. could say yes. It's documentary. It's it's the beginning of a kind of documentary approach to photography and and then film, which was also, you know, you can see in the work of mass observation at the same time. There's, I don't want to jump too far, but there was you mentioned a photograph, which is quite a famous one, um, of of uh, I think it's. Well, it came up with Latoya Ruby Fraser's oh, migrant mother work, but then she talks about—is it? Am I right? Migrant mother. Yeah, yeah. This is an American. But yes, yeah, so I was going to say. So Lange. in America, we've got this yeah. other other th- situation going on. But yeah. but but what's interesting? You've got so you've got migrant mother, which is um, Florence Owen Thompson's uh, photograph. Am yeah, I right? it, or, it's of her. Of, of her. her sorry, yes. with her children. Yeah, and 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 but, but the, tell us a little bit about what that what. What the difference between Latoya Ruby Fraser's approach is, well, she and, and, she's, and this other photograph. She's a very interesting. I think what what, what Latoya Ruby Fraser was, is interesting about is is the way she criticizes or critiques the um, the migrant mother photograph because she she thinks it's an example of 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 the sort of corporate iconography because of the fact that when. Uh, Dorothea Lang took the photo of Florence Owens Thompson in 1936. She um, she described it in a certain way. She she it was originally titled "Destitute Pea Pickers in California, Mother of Seven Children, Age 32, Nipomo, California," and she got a fact wrong about that because the woman wasn't a pea picker because they found out in the 1970s they they, they found the woman they, they tracked down Florence Owens Thompson yes. and. She said, well, I wasn't a pea picker. And also there were notes on the photograph that said that um, that uh, Dorothea Lang had thought that my husband had sold the car tires for food because we were so desperate. But we were just stopping for the night. He would never have sold the car tires. The reason he wasn't in the photo is he'd just gone for a walk when Dorothea Lang arrived. And if you look at the photos, there's about four or five of them uh, on the contact sheet. You can see them online, you know. <clears throat> uh, Dorothea obviously just arrived at the the uh, campsite and saw the family assembled in this terrible kind of lean-to tent. And she takes a photo, she walks a bit further, takes another photo, walks up to them. The, the photos are, just get closer and closer to the group. And it's almost as if she didn't even ask permission to, to take the picture. So, and then it became an incredibly famous photo. Uh, it, it became the icon of the of the Dust Bowl of the 1930s. Presumably, presumably an image that was wanted, as it were. Everybody will... You will be familiar with this picture. Oh, yes, absolutely. In, but it was it, it, it became famous probably because that was an image that was re- almost required. Yeah. If you see what I mean. It was, it, it, I'm not, I am not criticising... I don't think people are criticising the effect that that photo had. But it led to confusion because Flor- Florence Owens Thompson, when she was tracked down in the 70s, was wondering, well, you know, why did my photo... If, Given the fact that my photo became so famous and so meaningful and so powerful, why didn't I make any money out of it? Well, Dorothea Lang didn't make any money out of it because she was working for the government. But, and she, but she didn't know. She just didn't know these things. So that, this, that whole lot of meanings had been attributed to or, or attached to this photo over the years, intentionally and unintentionally, and due to ignorance and just due to accident. So this, so this is why um, uh, Latoya Ruby Frazier criticised that sort of corporatize, corporatization of, of an iconic image. And she works with, in a, on a much more personal level with family, people who are uh, victims of unemployment in her hometown of, 
of Braddock, uh, Pennsylvania, which is a steel town. And she's sort of personally more personal and yeah, yeah. and knows them. And, and, she, and then also, she doesn't just show the, the image. She provides information about the image. And so you you have a kind of... it again, it's, a, it's a kind of... Um, uh, it, 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 it's, an, a, a, it's a reinforced image, really. Yes. Uh, and <clears throat> again, it's... Um, it, it just uh, it just uh, attaches more. You get to know more about what the picture really is about. I mean, to my mind, it sounds more sensitive. Yeah. Ultimately, I mean, however yeah. beautiful the the, the the original other photograph was of somebody. Yeah. And beauty is a funny word to apply to mm. unemployed, very destitute people. But it that's what happens. It's almost a romanticization, isn't it? Or, well, this is the whole point about of, I, of, the icon iconography of unemployment is. I feel very ambivalent about it. You know, the same applies to the Bill Brandt pictures that were taken in the 30s. They're so famous they're so, and they're so emotionally powerful. And you think, well, you sort of start, start thinking, well, what happened to those people? And did they give their permission to be photographed? And, and what meanings am I imagining about them that might not be true? Um, and it seems, I think, you know, I, I can see a point in in wanting to explain more and more detail about a photo, if it has some kind of emotional resonance, how f free should we be to invent meanings? Yes. Or have meanings uh, attributed to them by other sources which aren't, aren't, aren't relevant? I mean, I think documentary photography, perhaps, yeah. is, is very prone yes. to, to, to this use, sure, sure. isn't yeah. it? I mean, it, mm. it's harder. I mean, I know that the painting you described could be used differently in very different ways. I mean, the comment, if it was in Punch magazine or something, you could imagine a yeah, different yeah. kind of caption yes, yeah, could be yeah. applied in one issue and another. Sure. Another, well, you could imagine it actually put two images next to with different captions. They need to do that kind of thing, actually. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you can politicise something differently just by what you call it, can't you? But it, the photographer, photograph seems very often prone to, to, to abuse or slippery usages slipperiness yes definitely yeah well i do think a lot of art can can have that happen to it i mean some art just put in a different curator's exhibition can be given meanings which it didn't have in the one it was in before or an artist might yeah, find I, i'm not saying you shouldn't no. be able to do that and i think that you know the the, the viewer is is, is fr should be free to to do anything they want but it's it's almost like you need to know that that certain images are kind of slippery you need to know these things you need to Possibly, but how can you force people to? No, I mean, I think I was thought that probably, probably artists now may be more able and aware, and and would play with these kind of, you know, this this knowledge that you've got is is what artists use when they make work. Yeah, sure. To, to try mm. to play with it so that it slips out of being abused in a way. I, I'm not saying I know how to do that, and I think it's very difficult actually. But I know people do try to. Tell me a bit, b b bite back again, a little bit more about bite back, because I didn't. Um, uh, there's something about um, there, was the, there was the morphing figure. Um, do they? I'm sorry, well, you don't have to tell me about bite back. I was just, I was just thinking of um, of, of more contemporary art that that that, that moved on from Latoya Ruby Fraser doing her work. Is that was there were there other? I mean, you mentioned Janis Bergerakis. Who, who's um, who made a work which was sort of a homage to George Orwell, didn't you? Yeah, these are pictures from Greece, um, uh, quite recent photographs. I mean, he's a Reuters photographer, and the thing that interested me about those was that, again, he he was as interested in the kind of situations that unemployed people in Athens uh, are are seen in on the street because they're all on the, on the street and they're in tents or they're in cardboard shelters and he kind of got interested in the way that the, or seemed to suggest that again we don't really understand what it's like to be unemployed we see an image we see a we see something that's disguising them uh construction wooden wooden or cardboard or canvas constructions underneath which they're sheltering but we never really get to know what they're like right. i thought that was quite a, an interesting way of looking at it yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely, and 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 you also mentioned somebody called uh, Richard Shields, who who yeah. who well, that was an extraordinary. Um, yeah, he so he sold his credit card debt um, as an artwork. Basically, he turned it into an artwork by uh, drawing on um, 
um, a document from from uh, his bank that had been sent to him. He he was struck by the fact that when they sent him uh, uh, documents, they included a, a, a sheet that was in, uh, that says on it, "This page has been intentionally left blank." So he drew his own hand in a sort of Max Escher type uh, way uh, in a well a glove. Uh, holding a biro and drawing, um, and it's a you know hyper realistic image. It certainly is. And um, and he managed to sell this for the same amount that his it, what it, or the price of the artwork matched the, the value of the, the debt. value of the debt. Yes. And he managed to find a collector who agreed to buy it, and they had to negotiate with the bank to pay off the debt. To, to pay off the debt. Yes, yes. that's right. It's a very clever idea, really. Yeah, and since then. Richard's gone on to make a whole series of works about the way the art art world uh, links with the uh, Renaissance and banking. Ah. It's taken him on a whole kind of uh, journey, uh, artistic journey, which uh, which and there were several sort of events that he he um, or performance performances and exhibitions that he held last year in Manchester. Uh, at the various points, and uh, it, it, yeah, he's 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 had a quite a, an interesting impact on on the contemporary art scene in Manchester. What, what, do you know if he was actually unemployed when he was in debt, or was yeah, he... yeah? Well, I think he was unemployed for sort of several different sort yeah. of periods. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I th- uh, debt is almost more of a problem in a way than unemployment these days, because I mean, people just get into debt and then they can't get out, and then can't of, get yeah. out of debt. Yeah. And even if you've got a job, you're still trading water is gradually sinking exactly yes because Lots you're because you're paying yeah. off all this high interest all the time and you're never going to get it you just live on in, you're paying interest basically all the time yeah well the, the, the this is another thing that the people who are in work can be living in poverty exactly and it, it's it so it, again it makes you look at unemployment as a uh, an employment and you uh, uh, and w- you wonder what the difference is not so great. The, the difference is not so great. They no. overlap. There, it's an amorphous thing, no. and the whole concept is 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 tricky. I mean, it seems, it feels to me, um, per, this is speaking personally, that it is this is a new phenomenon in the last sort of ten years. I'm probably wrong, but this amount of an ease of of getting a credit card and the norm of people being in debt seems to have grown. But but and it's I really do think it's it's good that art does deal with these. Daily issue, you know, serious issues. It's, you know, it's the reality of of capitalism, or, or you know, it's not how how. I mean, I know really ultimately maybe we have to deal with the big issue, but equally you have to deal with the daily reality of those big issues, don't of you? Of course, and, yes. and that's what he's done. And it's actually quite interesting that if he's come out of that, I mean, when we say successfully, I mean he's made more artwork from it, hasn't he? That's the most successful thing, like I would say, come out of it. Yeah, and he's linking it to the whole idea of the of the art world and the art scene and commodity capitalism, which I think is really really interesting, yeah. and religion. Yeah, so he's he's certainly not leaving any stone unturned. No. <laughs> <laughs> and and another another um, thing that happened was Teo Wells in New, New Zealand. Zealand. Yeah. Um, something to do with a, with a vacant office, letting space the beneficiary's office. Yeah, well, I think this was a sort of open ended. Um, uh, meeting place for well, they described it as, as as a place where you got the opportunity to visit and discuss issues surrounding labour, unemployment, and the structure of the economy. And um, he made various kind of suggestions, for, such as, for instance, that um, uh, everybody should be unemployed because the average carbon footprint of an unemployed person is half that of those earning a hundred thousand pounds. So. Uh, and eventually he he caused a bit of uh, a controversy uh, and um, he was uh, f- forced to close the show down and he complained that he was persecuted by the Minister of Welfare and slandered on national television by the acting minister and subject to three court trials. Well, it's rather a lot. Heavy stuff. Yeah. I, I, I was reminded of, of two other artists' work which may not be, but there might be of interest to people... When I was at Chelsea School of Art years ago, Helen Chadwick, the, art, the British oh, artist, yeah, yeah. used to come in and was making a thing which was, ended up being called Model Institution, which was a kind of remake of a social security office, or what I would call a dole office at mm. the time. And, 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 and I was just, just really just to say that, you know, the idea of people dealing with realities of unemployment and, and the kind of 
place you have to go to to sign on and that way. Mm. Like, it was interesting that, that she did that. And Paul Noble also did a thing called Dolly, which was a game <laughs> where, where you actually... Uh, it was based on Monopoly. Yeah. And you, you, um, you, you had to be aged over 16 to play it which I thought was quite interesting, because that was basically when you could become unemployed. Yeah. And the characters are called oblivious or otherworldly, burnt out, formless and, misha and misshapen, or ineffectual and aimless. So they were, they were, the, you know, they were like the kind of uh, the iron, the shoe, and the, the parting. But I, I was just interested that it, it's, it is something, I mean, the theme, is, is, it, it has been worked on before, hasn't it? The, it yeah, I mean, I think, I mean, I don't, when was the... You're talking about what the eighties, nineties? Well, well, no, well, one. I think Dolly was probably made in the uh, late nineties, right? Possibly slightly earlier, and uh, and uh, Helen Chadwick would have been eighties, uh, right? Early eighties. You see, I think in the early eighties, the unemployment had a a different feel to it. I can remember being unemployed myself in the, at that time, and you had certain different deals from the government. You had there were manpower services schemes where you could. Um, be employed, and the government would pay an a government would pay a, an employer a certain amount of money, and you could actually do something useful, yes, uh, and be paid for it. Um, but the other thing about the early eighties was that, the, that in that kind of post punk period, unemployment had a kind of power to it. Had you know, a use had a use had if, a, you were, if you were, yeah, I mean, because you, you could you could you could do a fanzine if you were unemployed. You could be in a punk band. You could it it was you could live on the money they gave you. And they wouldn't but also you punk, too much. Punk gave unemployment a meaning. In, in other words, the meaninglessness of unemployment had been pushed out by a, a subcultural movement, and it had a power as a result. And therefore, I think you know it was a really vibrant period for. For poster making and for for certain types of amateur art or part time art or DIY art, which wasn't say wasn't in a way some of that was about being unemployed yeah. because the yeah, slogan yeah, yeah. would have been angry and it would have referred to, to yeah. unemployment in yeah. some way. So that that was work about unemployment, wasn't it? But yeah, as you absolutely. say, yeah. it, it is interesting this thing, isn't it? Because you do get that said quite often, you know, even, even whether it be nostalgically or, or, or that that times, you know, oh hard times are produce good good art or or you know certain radical situations can create better but now i'm not sure whether whether i feel that the unemployment at this point is producing a reaction you know of, of creativity well i didn't in the same what way. i didn't man mention in this article because i didn't want to be sensationalistic oh, was was <laughs> was the riots the last lot of riots yes uh, I kept thinking because I went. I was. I'm old enough to remember the 1981 riots in Manchester and Liverpool, which were highly politicised, and they, they were perceived not just by the people who were doing the rioting as po a political act, anti-police or whatever it was, or people being un you know, and it was connected with unemployment, but also the police thought of it was political. You know, the, the police were approaching it in a political way, and politicians thought of it the same way, and the media, but. The last, the the more the, more, the 2011 riots were t very unpolitical. They were, and it was difficult to relate. You mean because they were about sort of getting getting yourself some goods from the shops? Well, in Manchester they were. It was to do with looting shops and getting designer goods. And, th and therefore that, and, and not political in the in the in the, in, 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 in the way. In, that, in London it was a different. It was to do with the. the well, there was anger at the yeah, police for yeah. having killed somebody. Mark Duggan wasn't yeah, it? so yeah. so. But it's the reaction was similar. Looting of shops did occur. Yeah, but I agree. And it's, but yeah, yeah, so I see what you're saying. The, there was a, a distinct lack of relating it to a particular um, situ urban situation that, or or. or uh, unemployment situation that, that or poll tax as or, 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 yes there was this it was un, you know obviously there was there was this huge wave of frustration and anger um and i'm not criticizing the rioting for the for the anger that was definitely there but it's more difficult to explain why it happened and it's therefore i was thinking you know we I've always been. I've always thought since then, you know, we, that we need to explain why it happened because obviously it's not been answered. It's not been, a pro it's not really been defined why those riots happened, why, why that frustration was there. Therefore, it could happen again. Yes, absolutely. Which um, is a bit, a bit, a bit worrying, really. Absolutely, yeah. It was, it, it, it's, 
I think it's one of the one of the sort of key questions to, to for, for politicians to think about. But politicians politicians are so uh, well that that they seem to be a million miles away from this kind of reality. It's very it's, the political bubble is. Do, is, do you think that the artists actually therefore could play? A, a, I mean, I mean, I mean that's a subject to, to make work about. If if you were, if you had anything to do with it, or if you were related to it, I mean. I'm not saying artists should do no, not political should, art. Not should. No, 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 no. I wasn't. No, I, I admit that's me. I, I just mean it seems to me that it is an area that again is ripe for, 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 for use uh, or not use, but for well, help well, or well, assistance or you know to explain it through through art. If you can't, you know, because it may come up with some. I just think that if if you are any kind of artist or any kind of writer, it's a reality. It's there. It's your world, and you're part of it. And it, you, sh- you need to be aware of it. You don't have to write about it. You don't no, have to. Sure. You don't have to do art about it. But what I mean, I mean, the the thing that 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 I was really struck by when I was doing research into this piece was I was talking. Uh, 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 we were talking just now about um, about Latoya Ruby Frazier, the American uh, artist who does work about this. Very um, this unemployed, very heavily unemployed town in Pennsylvania, Braddock, um, and I discovered that that it had been used as the location for an advertising campaign by Levi's uh, called Levi's Go Forth, and this is an American ad campaign. It's, they've done several campaigns which haven't been shown on UK television. It's it, it's. I mean, it's 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 for U.S. consumers, but it shows young people in uh, Levi's urban gear going forth, going out to do great things in the world, um, in these ur- urban, post-industrial, uh, ruined places, locations, including Braddock. And of course, when they filmed in Braddock, they had a billboard campaign as well, and uh, the the TV. Uh, advert that was sh- one of the TV adverts that was shot in Braddock has these shots of young idealistic kids going out into this world where there isn't any work and it's post-industrial so they've got to do it all for themselves and and there's this child's voiceover wondering maybe the world got broke on purpose so we had work to do and, <laughs> and then there were these. It seems very cynical. It is. It, it seems incredibly cynical, and but incredibly uh, important that the advertising industry has got to is getting to grips with unemployment. They they see this as a as a reality that has to be addressed. Well, it's on television. they see there's enough of them there. They've got to. They're such a big fraction of their yeah of their, the market of their market that they've got to find a way of cornering that. So but it's not just the market. It's not, they're not just saying buy our jeans if you're unemployed. They're just they're saying this is the world now. This is what it looks like. This is the world, and this is the, this. It's, it may if it's going to change, it's, it's up to you. But it might not change. But that's the landscape that we're all in. So I mean, I think that that was that's quite an important. In fact, I mean, I'm not saying that the that that in Britain that we're not kind of unaware of that uh, anymore. I think I, th- I think there are sort of indications that, um, for instance, Sainsbury's in the UK um, have now employed this woman Jack Munro, who's a tattooed blogger who has been unemployed, single mother, um, lives in who's in her twenties and and has lived on benefits. And she's devised all these amazing recipes that you can do on very little money and fair play to her. And she's taking money from Sainsbury's and she's giving a lot of it back to charity. She's keeping a living wage yes, and giving the rest exactly, back, yeah. back to, yeah. I think, a food bank. Yeah, but it just shows you that the ad, the advertising industry and corporate... It's incorporated her. Corporate capitalism knows about, knows about unemployment. They know that it's going on and... Maybe they're being a bit more imaginative than they're being very than, imaginative than some they? artists. I don't, I'm not criticising well, artists. No, no, I think I think the advertising world has always had yeah, yeah. A, a, a lot mm. of very creative brains, obviously, yeah. hasn't it? And the and the comp- complexity of the games they play, visually and psychologically and sociologically, are amazing. I mean, they've never never ceased to amaze. You, you, yeah, you have to be aware of it. Don't you, you have to be aware of it because it is clever. Yeah, and I think it's most clever. people don't get taught how to think about it. So. It actually works. 
quite a lot of it. That's the problem. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Shall we move on to um, just try and bring in the, the, the show that you also reviewed? Well, that you did. I think it was three or possibly four. Yeah. Um, Manchester shows. This is where we have a music. We have some well, would you possibility. Like to, well, you, 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 <laughs> yes, you, you can hit the button whenever you want because it's up to you. Um, well, the, 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 I'll just introduce this, this this music because it's a kind of um, it's music that was performed at the uh, opening night of an, of a show called Radical Conservatism at the Castlefield Gallery in Manchester, and it features um, several of the artists who are involved in the show playing um, some hurdy-gurdies, which are traditional old European instruments. They're hand-cranked, they're made of wood, they, um, they make a kind of droning noise. They're built by one of, one of the artists called Joseph Lewis. And he, um, he, uh, so he's in this performance with several of the other artists and there are some other um, instruments as well. And this was this was played. This was performed during on the opening night, and I thought it made a quite a haunting noise. Well, after we've heard it, I'm going to ask you to tell us why you think yeah. they did it. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Okay. <laughs> Okay, so that that was um, uh, hurdy gurdies, and I think I was sort of describing there they're, they're droning instruments which you play you play a keyboard and you're turning a hand crank with uh, your other hand, and it's got strings inside which come into contact with a wheel that ro- rotates as you turn the crank. So it's a kind of, uh, I suppose. Uh, medieval synthesizer in a way and um, uh, this artist Joseph Lewis builds them um, by hand and they're very very intricately carved with these uh, old-fashioned Christian or pre-Christian images Um, and it's part of a show as I said called Radical Conservatism which uh, was exploring well it had a kind of political agenda it was uh, curated by Pill and Gallia Collective and it was looking. It was sparked off by um, the the curators sudden, uh, discovering um, a Yugoslavian pre Second World War artist called Oscar Neiman, who came over to the UK uh, as a, a refugee from uh, the Nazis uh, just before the Second World War. And before, in, in, you know, in the in the 30s, he'd been a radical um, avant-garde uh, sculptor. When he, uh, but when he came to the UK, he began his, he began to change his his career to to uh, portrait busts and sculptures of famous people like Montgomery, and he ended up doing uh, a bust of Margaret Thatcher, which is in the exhibition. The and actual, actual thing. Yeah. Oh. There, well, there were sev- there were several examples of of well, they're maquettes really of, right. of of versions that he did, but he there was one eventually. Uh, there is one in Conservative Central Office, and there was one manufactured uh, by Wedgwood, which you could go out and buy. <laughs> <laughs> and so I think the, the, the sort of the, the approach to the exhibition that Pill and Gallia Collective had was to say, 
was to float the idea that perhaps the left in this country and elsewhere have have uh, gone in two directions. They're either becoming overly concerned in a nostalgic way for the old days of the welfare state and um, state ownership of, of the railways and the coal industry and so on. Or they're going uh, in... Uh, they're, they're sort of dropping away from conventional politics. Um, and uh, so they were suggesting that maybe radicalism was something that the right had been more successful at in the last few years. So they're looking at artists who had used, who were using conservative or exploring conservative um, forms or conservative ideas. But they're not necessarily right-wing artists. They're not right-wing artists. They're just you, coming to cross out the experiment, word necessarily. There. Yeah, experimenting <laughs> with with conservative forms. So hence the hurdy gurdies. But I think the, you know the, some of the other work was was that's in the in this exhibition or was in this exhibition, which is just closed, was was um, was was quite you know fascinating. The the the, the um, there was a, a fanzine called Buried, which is a heavy metal fanzine, which was also launched on that opening night. And it's <clears throat> it's, it's extremely strange. It's a, you think the fanzines are sort of photocopied, scruffy-looking things, <clears throat> but this fanzine is sort of hand-printed with in absolutely intricate, beautiful Gothic script, uh, um, very beautifully il illustrated, and it comes in the form of a, of a hardback book. Uh, and it, I suppose it sort of points towards the way that metal, which sounds like it's taboo-breaking and shocking, which and, it, and it, it, it strives to be like that, but it has to do it within certain constraints. So it is a sort of conservative form. And um, I think the most interesting work is Public Movement, which is an Israeli-based art uh, group who... Um, the, there's two works that, are show, that were shown in this exhibition. One's called... One's called um, University Exercise, and the other one's called Honor Guard. And what public movement try to do is to, I suppose, show how rituals and behavior patterns in public, in, in, among the public, can be disrupted, tweaked, and pushed uh, without people necessarily being aware of the fact that it's happening, and they explore the way that people react. And both of these pieces are actual news pieces of newsreel footage. And for instance, the Honor Guard um, piece, which was which was shot outside the um, uh, a, a, a monument in Taipei, shows an Honor Guard of soldiers, immaculately dressed soldiers who are just doing slightly stranger things than usual, uh, flipping their rifles over. Um, doing slightly eccentric things, and then one of them gets pushed down because he's 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 not performing properly. And so it's to do with how we we react and the shock that 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 we feel when we see uh, certain people it's who are who who are. It's, it's I mean that piece is to do with military. And it's, it's about expe expectancy. What yes. we expect. Yeah. And yeah. then that being un undermined somehow. Is that is that what you mean? Well, yes. I mean, in the case of the Heidelberg uh, University exercise, there's a it, it's Heidelberg University, uh, and they brought in uh, police and paramilitary soldiers to to. Uh, to arrest students, and the, and it shows you the the way that the students were, were compromised, and the way that they broke into factions, to, to, and it was to do with it's to do with policing and the way people react to to policing. And I I, I thought these were quite sort of interesting because they you're reacting while you're watching them. You have a sort of a sense of shock as well at the shock that these people are experiencing. Okay, now listen, talking not of shock. But of a different kind of experience, mm. I would say, Art Turning Left at the Tate Liverpool was another show you... Reviewed. Yeah, well, there's an overlap between the two shows because Art yeah. Turning Left also, also and uh, Radical Conservatism also contained... Both contained work by this um, Slovenian Irwin group who um, are looking at avant-garde forms from earlier in the 20th century and, and re-experimenting -ex -ex with the radicalism of a modernist era which... 
didn't get anywhere or didn't go anywhere or seemed to promise so much and it wasn't delivered. And Irwin are related to the rock band Lieback, who, I don't know if you've ever seen Lieback, but they're quite a shocking band. To I mean, I saw them in the 1980s uh, in Manchester. This band come on stage with, you know, paramilitary uniforms and it's real shock music and it's you're meant to think, oh, it's kind of like, Fascism. Well, it sounds a bit music. like fascism. Yeah. Yes, and yeah. me it meant it meant to make you feel. They intend to make you feel. Does that have interest? That sounds mm. like, a, like a, an extreme aversion. Although I, I know it wasn't really. But certain ratio and new order. The clothing and the costumes sometimes worn by by some bands. But I'm probably. I mean, I love certain ratio and, yeah, and yeah. new order. So, but but that, there was a weird. They used to wear uniforms of a kind, like scout uniforms, even if it wasn't yeah, actually. <laughs> even if it was, but, it's, but you don't. Yeah. It, this is a bit more extreme. This like, is a much more experienced thing. Because I think this is, I think what Lieback were doing and still are doing are commenting on on the way the Yugoslav Federation fell apart and the place that nationalism had in that internal, you know, horrific internal uh, uh, explosion or implosion. Uh, and it's still there, you know, it's still there. It's festering around and it's still festering around in Europe. Ooh, so they're sort of dealing with it in a yeah, way. Yeah, they're trying to sort of, sort of make us face up to it. Yes, I see. Um, <clears throat> but that is a bit different. But radical, yeah. The, and Irwin uh, is spelled I-R-W-I-N, yes, by the way. Yes, yes, yes. So, yeah, Art Turning Left uh, was a massive show. You went as well, didn't well, you? Well, I, I did, and it, I mean, I mean my, my only thing I remember was, it, I mean, I tried to, to to do it. I didn't have hours and hours to go round, mm. but you really could have taken a long time because there's a yeah. lot to read. Mm. Yeah, as you said, more to read on the walls than in the catalogue yeah. that you can get, yes. which is unusual, really, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, you really needed to spend a whole day. I did spend a whole day there, um, but I mean, I was talking to some of the artists as well, uh, but. I couldn't understand the. I know that they, but they went to great lengths to sort of con, to create themes out of each section in the exhibition, and I enjoyed engaging with every section. But and individual pieces of work, yes, of course, were, were lovely, weren't they? All very interesting to see. But the chronological beginning of the whole uh, way in which they they they've uh, ordered the work. The chronological beginning really is Jack uh, Louis David's portrait of Marat, uh, who's just been assassinated in his bath. But it's not; at, it wasn't at the beginning of the show. It was towards the end of the show because of the way that they'd broken the exhibition down into themes. And I found that slightly confusing because I wanted it. I thought, well, seeing as the chronology starts with the French Revolution, I, I could have done with that being at the beginning. Um, so they were playing with chronology. Well, they 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 had there is a chronological there is a chrono chronology in the catalogue, but it wasn't in the exhibition. That's what I'm saying. Oh, I, I see. Okay, yeah. okay, yeah. okay. Um, but how far and how far back does the? I mean, we we got Marat there. That's a very old painting. That's the French Revolution. Yeah, yeah that's that's the begin. That was a that was a, a a painting that was was repainted several times by Mar by David's studio, <clears throat> uh, so that it could be taken on processions as a piece of propaganda. And, and David actually choreographed the processions, the demonstrations. They were there to motivate the revolution and to, to get people involved in the revolution. Um, but the, the exhibition covers a, co a huge period of time. A whole period of time. There's a lot of stuff from the 19th century, William Morris, and, and, uh, and a, a, a great deal of 20th century stuff because, of course, the whole idea... I mean, I think the whole idea of revolution and the left really takes off after the first... or just before the First World War. That's the most meaningful impact of, of, of left-wing ideas in, in, in art, you know, to me. But so all the all the, the 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 stuff prior to that felt to me to be slightly irrelevant to the to the stronger ideas that came out of the twentieth century or the the more shocking ideas of the twentieth century. Because quite a lot of this stuff is is, I mean, it's pamphlets. I mean, it's 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 yeah, it's text based work of which which presumably had a very specific context when it was made. I mean, it's on the wall now. As artifact, quite a lot of it. Would you would you say? I mean, yeah. I mean it's not it's not like um, it's not all it's not all David paintings, is it? No, a lot of it's uh, stuff like um, particularly from the sort of nineteen sixty eight period. You've got the 
the posters from it's Paris. You've got the King mob material from London, situationist in, in, influenced stuff, um, fluxus stuff from from America. It, uh, it, and it would have been yes, and it is uh, ephemeral, uh, throwaway pamphlets that were meant to gather people together and call or to shock people uh, and. I like all that kind of thing because that's my background. I come from the sort of alternative press background, so that I'm, I no, find it's, all that it's, kind it's of really interesting. It's just, it's just interesting to see these things. Yeah. I, I found it quite hard to get to grips with. I mean, it's not that I wanted to be told a story or, you know, given an, an idea specifically. But I did think I did think it was like, well, I, I didn't quite know what I was looking at, and I'd have to have read a lot to find out. Yes, exactly, yes, and, yes, yes. And I thought, yes. and it, I, you know, maybe it's because I'm getting old, but you'd have to stand up a long time, you know. I, it's, it's, it's interesting. What, to what, to, to see all the exhibits? To see all the exhibits and to read it all and to get to grips with it. I mean, it, I don't think that's a bad thing to say for a show to be so demanding, yeah. but it, it is a very demanding stand-up experience. That's what, that's what I would say. I mean, some exhibitions you go to, I mean, no, I went to see Clay recently, mm. uh, you know, loads and loads of work, stand-up for a long time, not tiring. It's, it's, it's the reading thing. I, I think I find that... Well, I think, you know, that a lot of the, 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 the art but, uh, is about reading anyway in the, in the sort of left-wing art field. And uh, it's about analysis and thought and intellect. And I, mean, I was very struck, for instance, by this group, uh, Sto Dilat, who came over from Russia who uh, gave away a free newspaper. This is the free newspaper I've got in front of me. And, uh, um, and I was talking to them, and they had a, uh, a piece, a film piece, uh, Partisan Songspiel, a Belgrade story, which is a, an actual, it's a, it's a Brechtian musical. And I thought, when I was heard about this, I thought this is going to be a bit difficult. But it was actually really powerful. Fantastic. But, yeah. I'm going to have to stop you. Oh, sorry. We've gone from for an hour, <laughs> we've got to end. And we've got some other people diving to get the studio. Thank you very much for listening. You've been listening to Art Monthly Talk Show on Resonance 104.4 FM. And please don't forget, there is an auction for Resonance at the moment. And if you go to the website, you can donate. You just select something to make a bid on and you email your bid in. I highly recommend it. So Resonance 104.4 FM website. It's the auction to raise money for Resonance. Thanks ever so much for listening. Matt Hale speaking. Bob Dickinson's been doing most of the talking. Thank you, Bob. Thank you. Coming soon to Resonance, a week of special events from the 10th to the 16th of February as part of our annual fundraising drive. Events during fundraising week include a comedy benefit gig, Resofit, on the 14th of February, a sound art concert at Café Otto on the 13th of February, and a live auction. Keep listening to Resonance 104.4 FM for more info or visit resonancefm.com. Hello, I'm Mum from the Bermuda Triangle, and I'm here to invite you to a lovely audiovisual extravaganza for the benefit of Resonance 105.4 and Vision from Bruce Gilbert, the Bermuda Triangle test engineers, James Alicardi, Greta Pisacchetti, Chips for the Poor, and Surprises. Dave Ball and Art Terry playing records to dance to Bermuda Triangle test enjoying this wonderful broadcast from Resonance 104.4 FM, please help keep us on air by donating. For more information, visit www.resonancefm.com. Wondering how you can help Resonance 104.4 FM? There are a variety of ways you can donate to us, including credit, debit, PayPal, and now Bitcoin. Go to resonancefm.com to find out how. Resonance 104.4 FM needs your help. We are London's only non-profit community art station and we rely on the support of our listeners to stay on the air. Without your backing, we could not broadcast the wide range of shows that makes Resonance resonate. 
can donate to residents by check, debit or credit card, cash, bank transfer, or via PayPal. For more information, for more information please visit residentsfm.com.